All right, turn to Nehemiah chapter 2 and Ephesians 2. Nehemiah chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to continue with our series, The Blueprint, God's Master Plan for Your Life. Did you enjoy the previous three weeks? Wasn't that amazing to hear Pastor Jeff Cohen, Pastor Peter Hirsch last week? I thought they did a tremendous job. I think it also gave us a perspective that many of us didn't really fully understand about Israel and about how Israel relates to us that we've been grafted in. Now this week we're going to talk about God's plan for you. And we're going to begin in this series and talk about the church and about rebuilding the church, how we're a part of the church and how that relates to us, all right? Let me tell you a couple things about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king. And this is a very trusted place of responsibility. Many people think that the cupbearer actually tasted the wine, and if the cupbearer lived, you know, then the wine had not been poisoned. That's got a little bit of truth to it, but it wasn't actually Nehemiah. Uh, it was someone that worked for him. So <laughs> what his responsibility was as the cupbearer was actually to keep the wine safe and to be able to say to the king, I have overseen this personally from the wine cellar to your mouth, and I know that there's nothing that will hurt you. Many kings were poisoned that way. So it's a, a place of tremendous responsibility and great favor and trust. And the reason, by the way, that Nehemiah had great favor with his overseer was because he did a good job. I want you to understand, I believe it's extremely important for believers to do a good job wherever you are. And so many times I think we pray for favor with our employer when you can actually earn favor with your employer by doing a good job. Would you, would you agree with that? Alright, so Nehemiah chapter 2, God's plan for you. Verse 1. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, in other words, my family, lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? Now, now watch this. In the middle of a conversation, this is something all of us can learn. So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king. He gave a quick prayer before he gave his answer. So I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him. This is probably Esther. We don't know for sure, but this happened after Esther was made queen, so it's probable that it was Esther. How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I sent him a time. Now, the reason Nehemiah was burdened, we said before, the literal reason was for the Jews in Jerusalem, and we talked about that for three weeks. But if we take that a step further, he was talking about his family, his kinsmen, his relatives, his community of of a family. And because they had sinned against the Lord, the city was in ruins, and Nehemiah was upset. He was also upset not just for the city, but for his relatives. And that's what he says here. When we talk about God's plan for you, I want to show you an overview of God's plan for you. And the first has to do with what Nehemiah is talking about. Number one, God's plan for you is to be adopted into his family. Now, go to Ephesians chapter 2. 
In Ephesians 2, there is a scripture that shows all three points that we're going to cover tonight. Actually has one of the words in all three of the points that we're going to talk about, all right? So number one is to be adopted into his family. You need to understand God adopted you into a new family. Look, look at this, Ephesians 2 verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are now members of the house of God. We're part of God's family. You are part of God's family. You are now God's child. And the person sitting beside you is your brother or your sister in the Lord. We're in the family. And the great thing about being in the family is that there are rights and privileges that go along with being in the family. Let me show you another scripture about it. Ephesians 3 verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, I don't know if you see the church as a family, but it is the family of God. Many people see the church incorrectly. They see the church as an organization, and it is not. The church is not an organization. It's an organism. It's alive. People are the church. When you talk about the church, don't talk about an organization. You're talking about your brothers and your sisters. You're talking about the family of God. And again, as I said, in a family there are rights and there are privileges and there are responsibilities. We're going to talk about the rights and the responsibilities of each of these three things that we talk about. First of all, let me tell you the greatest right of being in a family, and that is this. Everyone knows your faults and still loves you. That's the greatest privilege to me of being a part of a family. People know your weaknesses and they still love you. They know things that you like to do that maybe no one else knows. My family knows me better than anyone. Now, I'll tell you a little something my family knows about me. And now you, as my family, you're going to know it too. But I have a certain snack food that I think we're going to eat in heaven. And because of that, I eat it on this earth. But my family thinks it's weird, but they still love me. I like bluebell chocolate ice cream with Lay's sour cream and onion potato chips. Now, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. You're my family. You have to, you are weird. But you do love me, right? You still love me. I'm telling you, if you'll try it, you'll like it. The great thing about being in a family is that people know your quirks, and they love you anyway. They don't like your quirks, but they love you. You have been grafted into a bigger family. You have a family. Let, let me show you a scripture, uh, Psalm 68, uh, verse 6. It says, God sets the solitary in families. God sets the solitary in families. Listen to me. If you want to be a part of a family, all you have to do is accept Jesus as your Savior. And you become a part of a wonderful family, and you can get to know your family. That's one of the reasons we have small groups here, is so that you can actually meet your family, get to know them, talk to them, and have them pray with you about things that are going on in your lives. It's a wonderful privilege to have a family, to be part of it. But what's the responsibility of the family? Well, let me tell you, the right is unconditional love. The responsibility is unconditional love. 
In other words, what's great about being a part of a family is absolute, total, complete, unconditional love. The responsibility is, though, that you must unconditionally love every person around you. Matter of fact, it's a commandment. It's the 11th commandment. John 13, verse 34, Jesus said, A new commandment, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. This is a commandment. This is part of the family. So, yes, the privilege is everyone knows me and loves me just like I am. The responsibility is that you love others just like they are. Matter of fact, there are a bunch of one another's in the Bible. Serve one another. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Be kind to one another. Care for one another. All these, you know what the Bible is actually telling us? Tell us how to be a family. That's what it's telling us how to do. It's telling us how to be a family and how to treat others as we're a family. Alright, here's the second thing that God has for His plan for you. To make you a member of His body. A member of His body. Ephesians 2.19 again says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members. See the word members? And members of the household of God. And Ephesians 5.30 says, For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. We're members of Christ's body. We are part of Christ. Somehow we don't see that being a part of His body is being a part of Him. And in Ephesians 5, it's one of the greatest books in the Bible about marriage, but it actually tells us, I'm talking about Christ in the church. And this is what it says to the husbands. You're to love your wives and nourish and cherish your wives as you would your own body. But, he says later, I'm really telling you about Christ in the church. You know what that tells me as a member of His body? Christ is going to nourish me and cherish me as His own body. The reason is because I am a part of His body. I am actually a part of the body of Christ. I'm part of the body. Let let me me show you another scripture and try to take this truth a little bit further. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22. He's put all things under His feet, His feet, and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him. Who fills all of Now, what is the fullness of Him? The church. That's what it just said. He's put all things under His feet and made Him the head of the church, which is His body and the fullness of Him. Alright, now, let me, let me ask you a question. Can you separate the head from the body and it still be alive? Do you have to think about that? No, you can't. So we're connected to Jesus, right? We're the body, He's the head. Everybody following me? Okay. I'm a part, I don't know if you've ever really caught this concept. You are a part of the body of Christ. See, we say the body of Christ, the body of Christ. Oh, it's the, I'm part of the body of Christ. No, you're part of the body. We just read Ephesians 5 said, His flesh and bones. We literally are connected to Jesus. He's the head, we're the body. Alright, so I said the, the right that we have as being members of His body is that He's going to nourish us and cherish us as a man does his own body. And since we're His body, He's going to nourish and cherish. He's going to take care of us. He's also going to protect you. By the way, if someone attacks you, they're attacking Him. Pretty good news. 
Now, again, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but in other words, if Satan comes after me, I'm part of the body. You follow me? All right, so the right is that he's going to take care of me, protect me, provide for me, but here's the responsibility. The responsibility is I need to treat others as being part of the body too. Let, let me ask you this question. How do you treat Jesus? Well, let me give you the answer. It's how you treat his body. This isn't good news, is it, all of a sudden? How you treat me is how you treat Jesus. How I treat you is how I treat Jesus. Oh, how about this one? How you treat your spouse. Is how you treat Jesus. Now, how do you treat Jesus? All right, I have another question for you. You ever chewed anyone out? See, you don't want to answer because you're in church. And God's watching right now. Come on, have you ever chewed someone out? You chewed out Jesus. Can you separate the head from the body? No. I'm part of the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. See, I don't think we think of it. People don't think of the church that way. People are the church. You're the church. I'm the church. We're the body of Christ. How do you think a husband feels when someone criticizes his wife? How do you think Jesus feels when someone criticizes his wife, his body? Now, I said, how you treat me is how you treat Jesus. You say, well, no, I just don't know about that. All right, let me show you a scripture. Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king, who's the king? This is easy. Who's the king? Jesus will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, my family, my body, you did it to me. How you treat the body is how you treat Jesus. Let me show you another one that shows that Jesus and the body are connected. Acts 9 verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now, who, who does this verse say that Saul is breathing threats and murder against? The disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. This is the Bible. 
I would say Jesus has correct theology, wouldn't you? Was Paul persecuting Jesus? Yes. Why? Because he was persecuting the body of Christ. Alright? So when you criticize the body, who are you criticizing? Jesus. See, it's a great privilege. It's a great privilege, but it's a great responsibility. I've become a part of the body of Christ. Praise the Lord, I'm excited about that. But my responsibility is, you become a part too. How am I going to treat you? I should treat you like I would treat Jesus. And here's the third plan for your life, to appoint you a citizen in His kingdom. A citizen in His kingdom. Back to Ephesians 2, verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're no longer, well that would be a good thing to preach on, strangers and foreigners. But fellow citizens, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Colossians 1.13, He's rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness, and He's brought us into the kingdom of His dear Son. I used to be a citizen of the kingdom of darkness. I'm not anymore. And I'm not slowly making a transition. I was transferred. I was conveyed, the new King James says. I was, beam me up, Scotty. I went from the kingdom of darkness in an instant. To the kingdom of His dear Son. By His blood, by His grace. I'm a new citizen. So all of the rights and privileges of the kingdom I now have because I'm a citizen of this kingdom. Pretty good, isn't it? I have the right for forgiveness. I have the right of love. Unconditional love. I have the right of joy. I have the right of peace. Matter of fact, let me just, we could look at lots of rights. But let me just show you three that we have. Romans fourteen seventeen. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's three right there. Righteousness, peace, and joy are three rights that citizens of the kingdom have. Here's what he's saying when he says it's not eating and drinking. It's not outward things. As good as it is, it's not bluebell and potato chips. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, by the way, is right standing with God. Because I've become a citizen of the kingdom, I've been made in right standing with God. And because of that, I have peace and I have joy. See, you can't have peace and joy without righteousness. (laughs) You, You can't have peace and joy without being made right with God. So since I've been made right with God, I now have peace. And I now have joy. 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 Did you know that it's okay to have joy and be a Christian? Because a lot of churches don't know this. Have you been to them? (laughs) You can't be happy and go there. It's against the rules. No wonder they're not growing. Do you know what my philosophy is? And when I say my, it's ours, but it started as my philosophy. Before we ever had one service at Gateway, I set the philosophy for children's ministry. And now everyone on the team has the same philosophy. They had it before they came. They joined into that vision and philosophy. But I set this. Here's my philosophy for the children's ministry at Gateway Church. Have fun and learn about God. And someday, I even had someone say to me, uh, shouldn't learn about God be first? I said, learn about God is the goal. But let me assure you, if they're not having fun, 
they're not learning about God. And I had a twofold purpose. I wanted them to learn about God, but I also did it to trap some of you. <laughs> you can't imagine how many people have told me when I first came here, it was different. I'd never been in a church like this. And I didn't really like it. I mean, the, the, the lifting the hands, and that kind of bothered me. And the music was a little, uh, you know, different. And then you preached on the Holy Spirit. And I'd never heard about the Holy Spirit, and I'd been warned about preachers who preach about the Holy Spirit. And we probably wouldn't have come back. I've had so many families tell me, we probably, even though we liked it, we probably wouldn't have come back except our children begged us to come back. And what they said was, can we go back to the fun church? I trapped some of you. I knew what I was doing. So my philosophy for children's church is have fun and learn about God. Would you like to know what my philosophy is for big church? Have fun and learn about God. It's okay. You want to know why? Because I'm a citizen of the kingdom, and one of the rights that I have is joy. Amen. I can have joy in the kingdom of God. Oh, but what's my responsibility? Well, let me tell you this. Righteousness is a gift. But my responsibility is to live righteously. I can never be righteous enough to go to heaven. But He's granted me now the gift of righteousness and the grace of God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit so that I don't have to stay in bondage to sin and I can now live a righteous life as well. And my responsibility is to live righteously so that I serve the One who gave His life for me. And let me just tell you something. Even if you're a believer and you've got the gift of righteousness, if you're not living righteously, you don't have peace and joy either. It says Nehemiah was sad. You know why he was sad? Because the children of Israel had not lived righteously. Even though they were the, key, the people of God, they had not lived righteously, and they were now suffering the consequences of their actions, and that's why the city was lying in ruins. But it wasn't just the city, it was their lives. Their lives were in ruins. And that's what Nehemiah was upset about. And Nehemiah wanted to go back and rebuild. Here's the theme of Nehemiah, by the way. Return and rebuild. Return and rebuild. And let me just say something to every one of you here. If you're away from the Lord, here's what you need to hear. Return and rebuild. Return to God and let Him rebuild your life. That's what He wants to do. Now when we talk about citizenship, let me give you one final thought. Acts 22, but let me just tell you, give you the the background of this. Paul is about to be scourged. And even though Paul says, you know, I was scourged this many times and shipwrecked and all, I don't think he liked it. And I think he'd do, just like any of us, do anything, get out of a whipping, you know? So he's about to be scourged, and he has this thought, and he says, is it lawful for you to scourge a Roman without a trial? And the guy says, he's got the whip in his hand, the guy says, you're Roman? Paul says, I sure am. So he goes and tells the commander. And then here's what happened. The commander comes. Acts 22, verse 27. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Now, I've known this passage for years. 
And when I thought about citizenship, I remembered this passage, and I thought, I'm going to go back and look at that passage. And I've always thought of this passage like, thank you, Lord, that I didn't buy my Christianity, but I was born a citizen. And I went back and I read this, and I just saw it in a different light this time. I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me when I was reading this passage and said, you know, you really weren't born a citizen either. You were born again. But the first time, you weren't born a citizen. And, by the way, you didn't have enough to buy it either. But I bought it for you. I just want you to know, if you want to be a part of His family, if you want to be a member of His body, if you want to be a citizen of His kingdom, He's already purchased it for you. You just have to receive it. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.